Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of The Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got a lovely guest. Her name is Bianca Johnson. She is a spiritual life coach. And today we're going to be touching on all sorts of exciting subjects around childhood experiences and how they can impact your future relationships. And we're just going to go with the flow, basically. But first of all, I want to welcome you, Bianca. Thank you very much for coming to the show. Yes, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. Um, talking about this specific topic is something I'm extremely passionate about speaking on because I think so many people don't recognize that these early childhood experiences are having an impact on us as grown adults. We think, how could something from 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago be affecting who I am and how I'm showing up in the world today? But the truth is, it's basically like a snowball effect. It's like that singular incident that happened when we were a child, just grew bigger and bigger and bigger, snowballed into this, into who we are today. And so so many people don't even realize this. So I'm really excited to be able to bring this conversation to your listeners so that they can maybe have a little more insight as to what might be going on with them. Yeah, because we're usually quite oblivious, aren't we, as to, you know, what what is the common denominator if we keep having failed relationships? And that common denominator is, is ourselves. <laughs> and so it usually, you know, stems from something that we took on board, but not necessarily aware of, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's important to note too, that like, we are the common denominator, not just in our relationships, but in our careers and in our finances and in our health and well-being and everything else. And so if you're experiencing a lot of dissatisfaction in your life overall, but it maybe is more present in your relationships that there might be some healing work that you need to do or some sort of internal reflection that you need to have in order to change the way that you're showing up in your life and then automatic and naturally start to change all of the relationships and experiences that you're having. Because when we naturally change who and how we are, everything around us shifts. I think we spend so much time trying to like find the perfect partner or find the, the relationship counselor that's going to make it work or find the, you know, the love language that's going to make it work or, you know, something like that in a relationship. When in reality, it's a lot of internal shifts as we make the internal shifts, the external shifts happen very naturally. 100% agree with that. So would you mind Bianca, you know, explaining to the listeners, um, What's got you to where you are now in doing what you're doing? Can you give us a little bit of information about you and what's led you to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, of course. So, um, so when I was, I guess it goes back quite a while. So when I was in high school, I was struggling with a lot of mental health issues, significantly with depression, with disordered eating, things of that nature. And I was in and out of therapy in school, and then. I was like, yeah, I haven't been doing that well, you know, but I 
got better and I want this opportunity to like help others get better. And so I pursued a bachelor's degree in psychology. And then when I was in psychology, I was um, taking a course called health psychology, which is all on mind, body, spirit medicine, right? I feel like there's a lot of emphasis either on like physical health or mental health, right? We see a lot of physical health, whether it's different diets or different exercise regimens or, you know, different things like that. And then there's a lot on mental health that's been coming up, especially in the last few years about meditation and mindfulness and having a positive mindset, positive thinking, all sorts of that. But then there's a large spiritual component too, that if any one area of your life is unwell or any one area of your being is unwell, um, you are unwell overall. You can't have really good physical health and really poor mental health and still be healthy or vice versa. And so it's about being a whole being. So we took these evaluations. It's actually very funny. And I was failing in every category. I was failing physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I'm like, okay, so what do we do? Right. We got to do something about this. Um, and so I started practicing yoga and yoga at the time, that I was studying in my bachelor's was like the hot thing. And I think it's still pretty much like a hot topic. Um, and I was like, okay, we can knock it all out at once. Mental, physical, spiritual, and emotion, like one size fits all. I like it. Um, and so I'm completing my bachelor's. I immediately took a yoga teacher training, came home, opened a yoga studio, ran a yoga studio for four years up until the COVID pandemic began. And in my time as a yoga instructor, I was still having really severe depression. I was still having really bad body image issues. I was still having all these problems. And it was like, okay, so I'm doing yoga, the mind, body, spirit thing, and I should be better, but like, there's gotta be something more. And so I started diving into this deeper exploration. And this is when I um, entered into the world of self-limiting beliefs, right? All of those, I'm not good enough. I need to be perfect. I have to please other people all of those things. And I just realized that my entire existence as a human being was founded on the belief that I wasn't good enough. That stemmed from childhood. And, um, it caused me to feel like I had to be perfect. It felt, caused me to feel like I couldn't accept help. It caused me to burn out working so hard just to prove that I was good enough and all sorts of things like that. And I started noticing as I was healing this within myself, that, almost everybody I was encountering had some form of this limiting belief, whether it's I wasn't good enough or I wasn't worthy or I wasn't deserving or I'm not capable or I'm not important or any like version of this. And people were showing up in their lives based on it. These, these old beliefs and these old stories from things from as early as five or six years old that had snowballed. And I was just like, we have to find a way to work through this. And so that's how we got here. Wow. Thank you so much for being vulnerable enough to and, and courageous enough to share all that with us, you know, because, um, you know, I think this is what we do as healers, isn't it? Is that, you know, we make our mess, our message and help others that have been where we used to be or, and are currently at, um, you know, the clients that benefit from our overcoming our own limitations and own you know what we refer to as um you know trauma or whatever it was that's that's affected our lives and impacted it in a negative way don't we 
Yeah. And I'd love to expand on that, on what you just said. So you mentioned trauma, right? And I think a lot of times people think like, especially if you're struggling mentally and emotionally, it's like, well, you know, I'm physically well, so I should be grateful for that. There's all this like bypassing that goes on, right? Like, especially Mm -hmm. with gratitude being a really hot topic too. It's like, well, just be grateful for the abundance you do have, or just be grateful for the relationships you do have. Right. Which I think is an excellent part of like reworking your mindset, but like, it doesn't just because you haven't had a major, you know, life altering um, situation occur doesn't mean that you can just like bypass the mental and emotional things that are happening within you in order to be like, oh, well, I just have to be grateful and like get on with it. It's like sometimes you have to pause and work through those deeper things, whether they seem quote unquote major or traumatic or not, and recognize that like, I'm actually reading a book right now called the A Course in Miracles. And it says that any disturbance of the mind, no matter whether it's large or small, is still a disturbance to the peace of mind, right? So it's like, even whether it's grand and big and massive and traumatic or not, any level of disruption to your own peace is still a disruption to your own peace. So like, I think we have to stop like, looking at, well, my trauma or my hardships aren't as bad as that person. So I should just be grateful and learn how to sit with what it is we are experiencing and process it as a means to moving forward versus just trying to overlook it. I agree with that because, if I, you know, it's very important what you've just highlighted there because, you know, we there's no point in comparing ourselves to others regardless of what it is, whether it's, you know, to do with our achievements or to do with what's like you said interrupting or disturbing our, our, our sense of peace um you know it's all relative and context specific to our own experiences isn't it yeah absolutely um and with that being said I'd love to share some of the um situations that have triggered people in my work because I think that this might give people an opportunity to see oh it doesn't have to be like this major trauma so in digging on beliefs with some of the people I've worked with, um, there's one woman, um, actually one of the first people I ever coached had this issue specifically in relationships and feeling like she was always alone and couldn't ask for help and couldn't count on anybody and couldn't, um, depend on people and had all these beliefs that were really causing her to not be able to form strong and meaningful and lasting connections because, you know, when we have beliefs, the the way that beliefs work is that a situation occurs in our life and we give it some sort of meaning. And then based on that meaning that we assign to it, when we have enough situations with the same meaning, it becomes a belief within our subconscious mind and sometimes in our conscious mind as well. And then from there, we start to show up in our lives based on this belief that we formed. And then the way that we're showing up in the world gives us more situations to confirm that what we believe is quote unquote true, even though it's not true. And so this woman I was working with had all these beliefs about being alone and not being able to trust people and all sorts of things like that. And when we did the inner child portion of it, it went back to a single memory of snowmobiling with her family and she fell off the back of the snowmobile and she was sitting there in the snow and they kept on driving and whether it was a few seconds or a few minutes or 10 minutes or however long it was she was there and she was alone and she was scared and obviously they came back for her 
but she just had this moment of feeling abandoned and feeling like she was alone and feeling like she couldn't trust people. And like that had an impression on her where like, I don't know how the, the events unfolded after that, how it played out at school or in her relationships as a kid. But then as an adult, she was still carrying this belief of a single incident. And the beautiful thing about the inner child work is that as an adult, when she looked back on that situation, she could recognize, okay, that's not actually what that meant. Like I can understand and appreciate why the younger version of my felt self felt like that, but that's not what that meant. And I don't have to continue to carry that meaning. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, if it's not serving us and we can identify, you know, the, the first earliest memory of a specific event that that's led to the particular belief, um, the best way to sort of examine it is to question it and whether it's relevant and serving us today, isn't it? Yeah, I think questioning it is one of the most like important things that you can do because things only mean what we make it mean. And I know that when it feels really personal and really intimate and there's a lot of emotion around it, it feels like there's only one meaning and that the meaning we're giving it is the true meaning, but like, it doesn't have to be. And I think it's, it's, it's important too to start practicing this, not just in these intimate, vulnerable, difficult conversations and experiences, but also in ones where it's not so personal. So I love giving the example of a restaurant, of dining out at a restaurant, right? Like let's say you go to a restaurant to eat and your server only comes over twice the whole time you're in your meal. They don't come over and ask if you need any condiments or need a refill in your drink or whatever. You can assign many different meanings to that, right? Like one person might say the server is lazy and isn't doing their job and I can't believe them. I'm going to leave them a horrible tip. Someone else can say, you know what? The restaurant's really busy. It looks like they're the only person here and offer some sort of compassion for the person. Another person might assign the meaning, you know, they might be new and learning the job and might not yet understand how to balance everything. Someone else might say, I hate when servers interrupt me during my meal. I just want to sit here in peace and quiet with my partner. And I'm glad the server didn't come and bother me. And so it's the exact same situation with four different perceptions. And so it's all about the meaning that the individual, because the situation didn't change at all, but the meaning that people assigned to it was completely different. And so if you can start doing that with things that don't feel personal, then when it comes to a situation where you're in a disagreement with your spouse or someone says something that feels you know, uncomfortable or hurtful to you, or, you know, there's a work event and you're not invited to it or however it presents itself in your life that feels triggering and feels emotional. Then when you get to those situations, it's a lot easier to look at the meaning and question the meaning that you're assigning to it. Absolutely true. You know what, in a former life, in my early years, I was a policewoman. So, you know, I understand what you're saying about different people's perceptions, because when you're asking for witness statements to the same incident or accident that's just occurred, they all vary, but it's all their different perceptions of what happened, but it's the same event. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I think there's actually a a psychological principle for that too, that like talks about how, and, and it's all based on our lived experiences, right? So it's like, if I'm, you know, in a level, we'll use the restaurant situation again. Like if I'm someone that lives a very busy life and only gets to have meal out with my partner once a week, I want that on undi- that undisturbed time, you know, versus if you're someone who's like worked in the restaurant industry and you know how chaotic and crazy it is, 
you have a lot more compassion for that individual versus if you're someone that's used to being catered to all the time. And so again, it's all based on belief, like your lived experiences give meanings and the meanings become your beliefs. And then it's how you show up in the world. And it just, it entirely, it, it cycles and it happens in every single scenario of our life after that. Yeah. And once we've attached a meaning, of course, that what comes next is the feeling that is attached to that meaning, isn't it? Yeah, of course. And and I find um, that the stronger that the emotion is that is attached to the belief or the thought or the meaning is the, the stronger that the belief itself is, right? So if you have a lot of emotion around a specific belief, like that's where the belief becomes more solidified because you can think of moments where someone was like, oh, you're awesome or you're great or I love you or whatever it is. And so why doesn't that become our main belief? Well, that's because it doesn't have as strong of an emotional attachment to it because we're so like focused on wanting to be liked and wanting to feel good enough and this and that. So like when a situation happens that doesn't confirm that we have that strong emotional reaction and that strong emotional reaction is what anchors it in, um, which is an excellent thing too, to, to know, because one, when you have that strong emotional negative reaction, um, you can take the time to process it, be with it, let it diffuse rather than ignore it and let it continue to bubble up. Cause we're like boiling pots, you know, like the more the water boils, if you put a top on it and like try to push it down and whatever, it's going to eventually explode, which is why we have these mental breakdowns and outbursts and all these things that we're like, I have no idea why I'm crying right now. Well, <laughs> because of all of the stuff that you suppressed. Um, but then the contrary to this is if you are in a situation where it's like, you are being shown love or appreciation or whatever the opposite is that you desire to experience, taking the time then to pause and also feel in it and relish it and be present with it and not just dismiss it will help you to anchor those new positive beliefs within yourself. That's excellent advice. Totally, totally um, subscribe to that. And like you say, usually it is those negative events that trigger us are the, are the ones that stay with us the longest rather than those positive experiences that we can anchor in, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. And that's because of, you know, the attention and the awareness we give it to. Like um, at any given point, there is millions of bits of information coming into our awareness, right? Through our, our, our senses, you know, what you see, what you smell, what you feel, what you taste. Right now you have clothing on your body, but you probably aren't like consciously paying attention to that sensation um, unless I've, you are now because I just mentioned it. But so our brain is acts as a filter, right? It's good at saying like, oh, this is important. We need to pay attention to this. This isn't important. We don't need to pay attention to that. Um, and so the way that this works is like the more focus and energy, like we're getting triggered and like, what's the first thing that happens when, when something like bad or something happens in your day, the first thing you want to do is like, call your friend and vent about it. Right. Like when something happens to your partner, you want to call and be like, Oh, I can't believe that this happened. And this person said that my boss is a jerk and whatever it is. The first thing you want to do is vent about it. And so when you do that, you're sending a message to your brain of like, this is important. And we need to focus on this. And so your brain's going to start picking up on more of those things. Even when you're in the grocery store and someone you don't even know, like, is rude to you in the line, like you're automatically like, oh, like picking up on it because that's what you kind of programmed your brain to like deem as important. But like what happens when like someone on the contrary 
holds the door for you. It's like, oh, thanks. That was nice. But you don't call up your friend and go, oh my God, someone held the door for me and it was so nice. <laughs> but if they don't call, hold the door for you, you're going to be like, I can't believe that person was so rude and they didn't even hold the, you know what I mean? And so it's like the attention that we give to the, the polar opposites tells our brain what is and what is not important. And then our brain picks up on more of those things because it can't pick up on everything. And so we're wiring those things into us to feel more natural isn't it a shame that we're not sort of educating you know our kids or parenting our kids around this sort of information right from a very young age well so I I used to for a while when I started doing this work put a lot of blame on the people that were part of the situations that my beliefs were founded on but over time I realized that like they're not aware of this. You know what I mean? They're not aware of the way that their brain is filtering and processing information. They're not aware of the way that early childhood experiences are shaping us as adults. They're not aware of self-limiting beliefs. And so it's hard to point the finger at the teachers and the parents and everybody else that are part of our early childhood because they aren't necessarily aware that of the long-term effects of this. And I've, and I, the more that I've become aware of you know, my own self-limiting beliefs and the way that they have anchored into me, the more I realize that the people around me have no idea that they even have self-limiting beliefs and have no idea how they've gotten there and have no idea how they're making impressions on, you know, the kids in their life. Um, and so I don't necessarily think it's a fault of the adults because, you know, you could point the finger at your parents, but then who made them that way? Their parents. So you can point the finger at your grandparents and then their parents, you know, so it's like, no, I'm not yeah, saying it's anybody's fault. I'm just saying, you know, we've been conditioned, like you say, through generations to, to not have this awareness. It's a shame that this isn't, you know, a common awareness, you know, right yeah. from generations ago. So, you know, uh, it wouldn't be an issue today sort of thing. Sure, sure. I think, too, though, that as us as adults start to become more in tune to this and more aware of this and put it into practice, that we have the opportunity to impact others in our lives. And that does really create a ripple effect. So like, I don't yet have children. Um, I may someday have children. But like, even the people that I work with that do have children, like just in me doing the work with myself and having the opportunity to pass it on to them, they then have the opportunity to pass it on to their kids. And maybe they're not passing it directly onto their kids, but maybe they're passing it on to their sibling or their coworker who's passing it on to their kids. So it's like you individually doing this work really has like a ripple effect and a big impact on people all across the world and generations to come. So it feels small when you're doing it just on your, on yourself, but like the effect really is massive over time. Yeah. And so, you know, this is the start and the turn of that tide where in the future, future generations don't have this as an issue because everybody's been conditioned not to have these limiting thoughts and beliefs that negatively impact their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it starts with us as individuals and then, you know, who knows where it goes from there. Yeah. <laughs> we can only trust. Hopefully I'll see something within my lifetime that shows that, you know, we're having a positive impact in the right direction around this information. I'm, I'm sure we are because even like, even, even in moments where you don't realize that you're making an impact, like there's been people in my personal life who have not participated in any of the deep work that I provide 
who I know are impacted by it because of the way that they're like, you know what? I'm thinking differently about this now, or, you know what? I'm speaking differently in this situation now, or, you know what? I'm spending 10 more minutes in the morning sitting with myself versus being on my phone. And so it doesn't always look like this, like, oh, we've changed the entire world overnight, but even, and it's, it really is the little things that we consistently do that make a difference. And so even if it doesn't seem massive, the impact really is. It reminds me actually of a story that I heard about Oprah Winfrey, who was, um, you know, you, you know, she, she obviously is a big influencer, but you know, I remember that she was talking about um, with a friend, Marie Angelou, who um, at the time uh, there was having a conversation about um, Oprah's opening a school in South Africa. And she's saying, you know, this is it. This I've made, I really feel I'm making a difference now because this is going to be my legacy. And Marie Angelou said, no, no, it isn't. You know, you don't realize the impact you've had with all your shows how you've helped that mother, you know, change her attitude and behavior towards her children, how you've helped that um, woman, you know, realize that she's not the only one that's suffering with these issues. She says, that's your legacy. You know, you just don't, the people that you don't know that you've touched is your legacy and that creates a ripple effect. Yeah, of course. I mean, and just think about it. Like if I interact with five people today, Let's say I'm coming from the space of feeling really depressed and feeling really angry and anxious and frustrated and limited and everything else. The way I interact with them is going to be one way. But if I'm coming from a space of feeling empowered and feeling happy and feeling grateful and content and everything else, the way I interact with them is going to be completely different, right? So if I interact with five people who take that interaction and interact with five more people, like that's how the ripple effect happens, right? So if I have if I make five people upset today and they go and upset five people because of it, like it just goes on and on and on. And so that's our individual responsibility. Even if you're not a coach or a healer or a therapist or, you know, anything, even if you're, you know, work at a bank, you interact with a ton of people at the bank every single day or a grocery store, you know, you're always interacting with people. And so you have the opportunity to make a difference just in, the way that you show up. Yeah, 100%. You just don't know who you're impacting, you know, and it's the people that you don't know that you possibly impact and that are probably then going to have that greatest influence on others that are going to create, you know, a, a bigger ripple effect that you don't even know that you've instigated. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. So could you give us another a practical example for the for the benefit of the audience Bianca of either your own experience or a client's experience of how some sort of childhood thought or belief limited and showed up in their life and then you was able to work with them to change that or work with yourself to change that of course I have um tons and tons of examples but um so there was that example about the snowmobile. And then there's another example that I love to share again from very early on when I started coaching about ice cream. Um, so this woman I worked with was having a lot of um, 
she was doing a lot of things. Like she was hoarding a lot of stuff at home and she was like holding on to people, even if they weren't like serving her highest good anymore. And was just like very much like holding on to things and like afraid to let go of stuff. And her belief, when we dug on her beliefs was that there's never enough, there's never enough for her. There's never enough. Um, and so when we went to her early childhood experience, it went back to a situation where she was napping as a young child. She woke up from her nap and, and her brothers are eating ice cream. And she says, Hey mom, can I have some ice cream? And mom says, I'm sorry, honey, the boys had the rest of it. We're going to have to get some at the store later. And so you can't have some right now. And so her little childhood brain was so upset that she couldn't have ice cream. Her brothers are having it. And the belief that her as a child formed was that there's never enough for me. There's never enough left over for me there. And so that belief starts to shape. And then um, another example was a girl I was working with who um, the belief that she was struggling with was feeling like she was incapable. And when we dug on her belief, this, and this, I think is a lesson for the adults on our impact, right. As we were just sharing, we dug on her um, belief and did her inner child thing. It came back to a parent teacher conference when she was in the first grade that she was sitting there with her parents and her teacher and her teacher looked at her parents and said, you know what, your daughter is incapable of paying attention. And specifically said she is incapable. And so from then on out, whether it was paying attention or starting a business or being in a successful relationship or whatever it was, the belief was I am incapable. And so that one phrase as a teacher that she said in the parent teacher conference, like carried with her for decades and decades to come. And so the way that this plays out, um, just to give like a general example is like, so Maybe you're a kid and you're playing in the neighborhood with your friends and uh, there's one kid in the neighborhood that doesn't want to be around you that says you're annoying and nobody wants you around and tells you to just go home. And so you feel really crummy about that because that does feel crummy. Um, and you make that mean something about you. Now, anytime people are showing up negatively or hurtfully in your life, it's entirely a reflection of what's going on within them. It doesn't have to be anything personal about you, right? Um so you go home and you're feeling really upset about it. And then the next year you start your first day of school, you're in kindergarten, everything's great. And all the kids are playing on the playground and you're kind of shy now. You're not really sure about kids. And so you don't go and play with them. And because you don't play with them on the playground, when lunchtime comes around, they're all sitting together at a table at lunch and they're all really enjoying their lunch. And you feel like you haven't connected with them. So you go sit at a different table all by yourself. And so then as you get into high school, all of the girls or the guys or whatever are getting ready to go to the school dance and nobody invites you to go. And they're all just going because they're this clique and nobody invites you to go. And so it confirms that belief, right? Nobody wants me around. People think that I'm annoying, things like that. When in reality, they've, they've just had this connection since kindergarten because no one ever told them they were annoying and didn't want them around. And so they just thought it was fine to socialize. Well, your little child self didn't feel it was fine. And then you grow up, graduate high school, and you're like, you know what? This is my chance. I never made connections here. I never made friends here. I'm going to go off. I'm going to move to a different city. I'm going to get a job, and I'll meet people who are like-minded or whatever. So you go to the job, and now this happens subconsciously. We do a lot of self-sabotaging that isn't a conscious, oh, you know what I'm going to do, but is <laughs> our mind. And our mind is always just trying to protect us, right? Yes. Like. That, that one situation, it was hurtful, right? And I don't want to experience that hurt again. So I'm going to do everything I can to avoid it. And it's not a conscious process, but it's our subconscious mind navigating the world. And so um, 
So now you go to work and they're like, Hey, we're all going out for happy hour. Do you want to come? And you're like, I don't really know. Nah, I'm going to pass this time. Right. And so the next time happy hour comes, they don't invite you because they're like, I don't know if she's got young kids at home or if maybe he doesn't like alcohol or whatever the issue is, but we don't invite because last time they declined. Now you see on Facebook or on Instagram or wherever you hang out that everyone at works out at happy hour and you didn't get an invitation. And you're like, see, I knew it. I wouldn't, I knew that when I moved here, nothing would be different and nobody would be, would like me because I'm just undesired and nobody wants me around. When in reality, it was your subconscious mind controlling the way that you're showing up in the world based on that one experience where you felt like you weren't good enough or you felt like you didn't fit in. And that's and so, because as well, our subconscious wants to prove us right. <laughs> yeah, it? yeah. We love to be right. We absolutely love to be right. <laughs> so but we're actually also, looking for evidence to prove ourselves right without even realizing it. Exactly. that, And that's that whole what you focus on will grow, right? Like your brain is filtering out all of those positive experiences where they did invite you or, you know what I mean? And, and just feeling like you're not wanted around because that one time one person said something that wasn't favorable. Um, and so this happens and this affects all sorts of things, right? So it, it, it might affect the relationships, but it might also affect that maybe you do have a really great job and you have this really good idea of something that you think would be really impactful at work, but you don't speak up and share it at the company meeting because you feel like nobody wants you around and you're annoying, right? So it's like, why would I speak up and share my ideas? Nobody's going to listen to me anyways. And so like, these beliefs, and they're all variations of the same belief of not feeling good enough, right? Whether it's being incapable or being unwanted or whatever it is, it's all like feeling like you're not good enough, but then it impacts everything. It impacts the relationships that you're in. It impacts your career and impacts the way you treat yourself, right? Like if you don't think you're good enough or important or valuable, like you're not going to take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, because you don't feel like you're worth that. And so it really impacts every single area of your life without consciously even knowing that this is happening and this is all fixable isn't it because it's just like a computer program your brain is and you can sort of wipe the hard drive and start again and <laughs> reprogram it with the totally new thoughts and beliefs can't you yes of course um and it takes time. It's not like I'm just going to think positively and use some positive affirmations today and by tomorrow, everything will be great. Because the the way that this happens is that like our there's synapses in our brain and these are basically like wires. And what happens is when we are processing information, information goes from one to the other. And then, you know, the the more frequently you use it, the more automatic it is, the faster it is, things like that. So if you're always thinking negatively and reinforcing these negative beliefs about yourself, it's going to be faster and quicker and stronger than any of the other synapses. So if on the contrary, you start to bring in those empowering beliefs and start to question the meanings and things, you're going to start to break one, put a break in the ones that are strongly firing, which is important because you have to put a break in those cycles. And then additionally, what's going to happen is you're going to start to wire new ones together, but it's going to take time. You can't unwire something that's been there for 20 to 40 or 50, however many decades, you can't unwire it overnight and automatically wire something new, but you can through time and through practice start to close off that one pathway and create another way. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit like building a muscle, isn't it? You know, over time it gets stronger 
it's exactly like building a muscle. It's exactly like building a muscle, right? Like if you only go to the gym and work on your legs, your arms aren't going to get stronger. But if you stop focusing on your legs and start to lift with your arms, your arms will slowly get stronger. So it's all in where you put the focus and the emphasis. And I know this can be extremely challenging, um, especially like after you've been doing the work for a while. And I've hit this block numerous times in my own journey is like when you'll be going really well for a while and then like something negative will pop up for you and you're like I thought I worked through this and there's no point in any of this and it's never gonna get better but the truth is the more that you like practice it and the more that you work it the better it will get and you're gonna have moments even as you're starting to wire positive thoughts into your mind and positive beliefs into your mind where those negative beliefs present themselves and that's okay I think it's important to realize that we're not our thoughts, right? And so just because you have a thought doesn't mean that it's true. Doesn't mean you have to believe it. Doesn't mean you have to like run with it, but you can acknowledge it and be like, oh, there that is again, let it go. Like you have the power to decide whether you're going to take that crazy train or step off. Absolutely. It's, and it's actually a good thing if you become more aware of when a negative thought or belief comes into your mind, because it's showing that you're becoming more consciously aware of your thoughts, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. So it's not about learning to control them. It's about no longer allowing them to control you ultimately. That's brilliant. I love what you've shared with us today, Bianca. Uh, Any final closing thoughts of wisdom around this topic before we wrap up the episode? Yeah. So actually, I just love to give some practical suggestions for people who are um, like, okay, so I do have these negative thoughts or these negative beliefs. Maybe you're aware of them and you're like, so what do I do now? There's a bunch of different things you can do. Of course, positive affirmations are great, whether you're writing them or speaking them, things like that. Um, if you use hypnosis or subliminal audios, these will help directly impact the subconscious mind, which is where a lot of this is stored. Um, you can do things like EFT tapping is excellent for this. Um, scripting, like let's say, you're, you know, really struggling to feel good enough within yourself, scripting out a letter to yourself about all the wonderful things that you identify within yourself or within your life. Um, There's also a quick little game I like to play where if you are, let's say, really struggling and you're like, man, I really hate my job. I hate being here, whatever. Every time you have that thought, try to identify like three positive things about your job. And that's going to, for the three positive things you're identifying to counterbalance that one negative thing, that's going to be one of the ways that you like really strongly start to rewire. So if you are somebody that is like struggling with these beliefs and you're like, I don't know how to like change the subconscious mind. These are some things that you can start implementing either in your daily self-care or it doesn't even have to be daily self-care. You can play a hypnosis or subliminal audio while you're folding laundry or doing dishes or driving in the car. Um, There's ways you can start to practically rewire both the conscious and the subconscious without having to like really sit down and dive in and carve out an hour of your morning every single day. So what would be examples just for the benefit, again, of the audience that that are new to this sort of type of um, examination of themselves? What would you give as sort of examples of, say, positive affirmations, for example? Because some people might think, well, I don't know what she means by that. Okay, so we could do a whole episode on positive affirmations because (laughs) they can get pretty complex. Basically, it's it's anything that's an alignment with the desired experience. So if the experience currently is a negative belief that I am not good enough, the desired experience was to f- would be to feel good enough and worthy. Um, and so an example would be, I am enough. What I do is enough. Who I am is enough. 
my work is enough, whatever it is along those lines. You want to try to avoid when you're using positive affirmations, focusing on the negative outcome. Um, so let's say you were do working on affirmations for abundance rather than saying something like I am not broke. You'd want to say I am abundant because in saying I am not broke, you're bringing up the thing that you're trying to avoid, therefore continuing to wire it because the subconscious mind doesn't really process the whole not part. Cause if I say to you, don't think about a blue tree, the first thing that comes to your mind is a blue tree inevitably. So when you're forming your affirmations, just making sure it's specifically about what it is that your desired experience is. And then affirmations are great because you can write them on post-it notes and stick them on your bathroom mirror, or you can write them in your journal a hundred times when you wake up, or you can say them silently in meditation or allowed in medita- meditation. You can put it as the background on your phone or your computer. There's like so many different ways you can use affirmations to make sure that you're reinforcing these positive beliefs throughout your entire day. And it doesn't matter if you don't strongly believe it in the in the moment. It just happens that over time it will become more concrete, isn't it? So even if you're saying it and thinking, well, I'm not feeling that I'm truly believing this, it's just a case of practice, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Like we said, it's like it's like lifting weights. The first time you go to pick up a weight, it might be heavy and hard to lift up, but after the hundredth time you pick it up, it feels more natural. And it's built that muscle. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Bianca. What is the best contact information you can share with our audience should they want to reach out to you? Um, so the best way to get in contact with me is via my website, which is biancamjohnson.com. And if you visit um, the website and add the forward slash links, that's going to give you all of the links to all of my social media profiles, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. Um, as well as access to my podcast, the Live Life Extraordinary podcast, and all of my current services and offerings. Excellent. So we'll make sure any other links as well are in our show notes as usual. So thank you so much, Bianca, for sharing all that wonderful insight and information that you've shared with us today, especially around your own personal experiences. Really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for opening this channel for this discussion. So it just leaves me to say, listeners, true love starts with opening our hearts. And until next time, goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group, Two Hearts Entwined, or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn, or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts entwined.com Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.